Let me pray one more time. I, uh, a bunch of folks are not feeling well, and I'm one of them. And so I'm going to pray for strength and focus, amen, and some energy. God, I pray, Lord, you give me the strength and the focus. Lord, um, also, Lord, would you just take over and would you just speak what you want to speak um, by the power of your spirit. Lord, I thank you for every single soul in this room. They're all worth each and every single person here is going to last longer than Gloucester City <laughs> because they have a soul. Every single person in this room is going to last longer than America, than the Roman Empire. There is a weight, as we were reminded by C.S. Lewis, there is a weight of glory that each person made in the image of God bears that is un un it's impossible for us to wrap our minds around. And so, Lord, we, we thank you, God. Every soul here is unbelievably valuable to you. And Lord, we pray they'd be valuable to us. God, we thank you for those watching online, either live or will listen to the sermons later. God, we pray, Father, that you'd wake us up to the realities in your word. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been in a series called... The Gospel of John, Jesus in Real Life. And it's really interesting that, that we would call this series Jesus in Real Life, because you could kind of see how maybe Mark or maybe one of the other Gospels would be something like, this seems more like Jesus in real life. Um, John is known as the spiritual gospel. It's the last gospel written. You've heard me talk a lot about John. John is this guy. He's the youngest disciple in terms of the, the 12, right? He's the youngest apostle. He's a teenager. And then at the same time, when he's writing books like the Gospel of John and then even later the book of Revelation that we just preached through not too long ago, he is an old man. <laughs> he's the only apostle that doesn't die a young and horrible death for the faith, but is exiled to the island of Padnos. And so John is remembering things he encountered, things he saw with his own eyes, and writing these things down near the end of his life. And so it's the most personal, most theological, and in some ways the most difficult gospel of the four. Like other Gospels, all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, all their accounts, they all talk about Jesus feeding the 5,000. But only John slows down and tells us that after he fed the 5,000, Jesus came and he spoke to the crowds and he said, I am the bread of life. You know, each gospel is challenging in its own way, but John's gospel is just really obviously challenging. In some ways, it's like the Mount Everest of the gospels. 
And so over, this is so crazy, I'm getting old. Over 20 years ago, I was 20 years old. Wow, that's so weird to say. <laughs> and I, I remember, you know, and I've shared this story before, but I remember it was vivid. Um, I went on a five hour hike up this hill. It was on the horseback. So we were going pretty, pretty good clip, pretty good speed. Um, it was through the woods, but it was on a, like a dirt road path. And when we got to the top of this, now they call them hills, but if you were to go on a horse and ride straight up it in Pennsylvania, it would be a mountain. In fact, these hills are way higher in general than the Appalachian Mountains, but they're called hills because of the foothills of the Himalaya. And so I was just a couple hours north of Delhi and we in India and we got up to the top of the mountain where there was a lookout and I could see at 20 years old, I could see Mount Everest, like literally could see Mount Everest. Could see the, the Himalayan range. Got off my horse, fell down on the ground. My my really good friend from you know this Indian guy was getting worried, like oh he's falling into paganism or something, you know? He's worshiping the mountains. But that wasn't it. The thing what it was was I felt overwhelmed that God would let me see something like this given the place I had come from. I knew that not a whole lot of people from the town I came from and my friends growing up were standing there looking at the Himalayas after they rode up a, a, a mountain on horseback. It was the grace of God. And I want you to know it's the grace of God for us to slowly go through the book of John. And with God's help, we are climbing up these foothills and we're getting a good view of who Jesus is. Because this is Jesus in real life because you need the full view of Jesus, the fully theological, fully personal, fully deeply individual in the way that John is more individualistic, more personal, more theological than any of the other Gospels. And we need that. We need that. We need to see the vantage point that John brings us up to see who Jesus is. And because of my weakness, my sickness, my whatever, I've been breaking this up more and more smaller chunks. And we might be in John for a while. Sorry. But not sorry, right? <laughs> and so we're just going to get a few verses today. John chapter 14, verses 12 to 17. It says, Truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And he will do even greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. Who whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. 
he is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because he doesn't see him or know him, but you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. Amen. And so tonight we're going to ask this question, what are the greater works? What was Jesus talking about? You know, and there's different options, right? And one of the things that we can look at are these works of righteousness. And I just need to remind you tonight that they lived in a land of incredible injustice and darkness that had not even begun to be addressed. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> they lived in a brutal society. So in first century Roman family, you had the pater familias, right? The, you had the oldest male of the family basically ruled, not just in a way like they had a ton of respect. I mean, they legally ruled over people's life and death. So if like grand, your grandson, if you didn't want the grandson, you would leave him on the mountain to be exposed to death. And they were legally allowed to do this. The oldest father literally had the right over your life and death. Children with disabilities would often be left on the trash heaps just to be killed, eaten by birds. And pedophilia was the norm. Like, that's what soldiers did. Soldiers would have a younger boy that would just be basically available to them sexually and also just, like, put their armor on and do whatever they told them. And they did this because that's what they experienced when they were young. And that just was how society was. It wasn't questioned. It was defended. We were missionaries in Central Africa where a couple generations before we got there, even one generation, and in some places it still was practiced, that the way that mom became mom was that, you know, they'd just be stolen. You would just, so women would go out and they would just, you know, bring, get water from the well. And at all times we're at risk of just being stolen. And it was socially protected. You couldn't challenge this. This is how man became mom. This is how grandma became grandma. It's just the norm. And in Roman society, women who committed adultery could be killed. Men were expected to commit adultery unless it was somebody richer than them. And then they could be killed. <laughs> Women were not, like the Greek philosophers wondered out loud, like Plato, right? I'm sure you're, like, like I don't think women are fully human. This is the context where Jesus says greater works, right? And slavery was just the norm. People just had slaves. If you had money, you had slaves in your home. It's just how it was. And this was just the reality that the gospel came into. It was spread among those powerless, among women, among slaves. 
among the ethnic minorities. People didn't have sexual autonomy. They didn't, they didn't have a choice. A lot of times your master would tell you who you'd be paired off with. <coughs> I need you to understand this. That church, when people gathered in the first century, it looked less like Leave it to Beaver, right? 1950s, idealistic, every nuclear family together. And it looked more like the Philippian church, right? Where you have a slave girl, a, a, a woman kind of widowed who's running a business. Where you've got like a Roman god who had blood on his hands. Like it was a totally a total mess and mix of all kinds of people and a lot of people didn't have a lot of say over their lives and so a lot of people wouldn't have fit neatly into our ideal of like oh that's the Christian family awesome And yes, the gospel changed everything. In 1 Timothy 5, it just says, Do not rebuke older men, but exhort them as a father. Younger men as brothers. Older women as mothers. Younger women as sisters. And all with purity. Support widows who are genuinely in need. I need you to just kind of get a taste of like how radical the New Testament was. What the kingdom of God that he was building in just this, this thing called the church, this new family where we would call each other brother and sister even if we didn't speak the same language, even if we didn't come from the same background, even if before we were enemies, now in Jesus we are family. So that doesn't hit as hard because we've been calling everybody brother on the street since we grew up, right? It's like you just at the Walmart, yo, sister, but you need to understand in the first century that this was absolutely radical. And, of course, the way we say it is so watered down, it doesn't mean anything. We call each other brother and sister, and it's just a, yo, what's up, man? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just a casual thing. Now, Paul tells Philemon, his friend, you know, they had this guy, Philemon had a slave. His name was Onesimus, and you can read about this in the book of Philemon. And Paul basically says, listen, I want to talk to you about this guy who ran away, who was your slave. But since then, he came to Christ, and since then, he's been really helpful to us. He's been a gospel worker. He is now a brother. And Paul pulls this. He says, I want you to voluntarily do this, but I'm also going to remind you, Philemon, that you owe me your soul. <laughs> Like, I shared the gospel with you, I'm your spiritual father, and I'm asking you to let this guy free. This is what the gospel does. It comes into an unjust, crazy, broken world. I have been in church, like I was in church in um, Kenya, where you had the house workers and the people bringing their, their house workers with them to church to watch their kids. And we'd have meals together. And we had to challenge this whole structure. We're calling each other brother and sister. And yet the workers are never off. <laughs> you know? 
they're, they're, they're never off. So what does it really mean? What do these greater works, the greater works surely include this, this march of shalom, of peace, of justice, of uh, correcting what's wrong in society. And yet in context, it's particularly in the gospel of John, it doesn't quite fit. It's not quite the, the main meaning of these greater works. The greater works, as you study these, and I can share with you um, why I believe this, um, if you want to talk to me after the sermon, but the greater works seem to be in the context of John, where Jesus is this miracle worker, where he is this, this man who performs these seven signs, right? The greater works seem to be miraculous signs and wonders. The, the greater works seem to be that Jesus would continue these things that he had been doing. And he'll continue two chapters later where he'll say to his disciples, he says, it's better for I to go. In chapter 16, it's better for I to go and to give you the Holy Spirit. Because I, well, there's two reasons if we love Jesus, why it's better for him to go. If you love somebody and you know that they could be with their father and you know that they could be in heaven and you know that they could get out of this like non-stop dirt, diseased, infested, broken world. Well, when you love Jesus, right, you're like, yeah, like we should be happy that Jesus did his mission and now he's back in bliss at the right hand of God the Father. That's one level, right? But another level he's saying, you should be happy that I go because he's saying it's better for you. It's better for you because unless I go, I can't send the Holy Spirit to you. And so Jesus goes up to God, the Father, and he sends down the Spirit to live in us. And he has some works for us to do. This is like a huge thing. Um, these signs, these miracles, right, they're to be done not only in a spot that you could walk around in like three or four hours on foot in one tiny little part of the world, but the work that Jesus has started continues throughout the whole world, through the whole church, from beyond Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And this whole entire passage about greater works shall you do, it's like a huge hammer to this, what I call glory days, glory days philosophy. <laughs> there's, there's all kinds of ways we do this. We like to be nostalgic. Sometimes our nostalgia is completely false. Right? We like to remember the good old days, the glory days. Sometimes we try to remember a day and an age before we existed. And we just imagine what it would be like where everybody feared God, where everybody came to church, where everybody just believed and saw the hand of God on things. 
and, and, and glory day philosophy doesn't work. God used to do really great stuff, but now we live in the dark. That's the kind of the glory day philosophy. And yet biblical history and church history. So what I'm saying is what we see in the Bible and what we see in the church, what we see is that there are, just like I climbed up the hill station, right? Just like we, there are times in biblical history and times in church history that we are living now where there's highs and there's lows. This isn't by far the darkest time in the last 2,000 years. When they looked at, um, when you go and look at the records in London in 1800, they kept the records on who took communion. It was about 1% of the people in London took communion. The church has a habit over the centuries of nearly dying and then rising again. <laughs> it's just us. <laughs> It's just, that's just all of that. And it's the same thing in the Old Testament where there's these, these times of faithfulness, right? Usually it gets to the point where God's people are crying out to him because they're under judgment, right? And the resources are low and they can't trust in themselves. And they cry out to God, send revival, rend the heavens, rend the heavens. That's like a prayer that God's people have been praying for a long time, right? It, 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 it's like, imagine God just pouring out his blessing on Gloucester City, on this church, on your life, just rending the veil between the natural and the supernatural, allowing his blessings to come down. God's people have been praying like this desperately for a long time. <clears throat> and then God does it. And then, just like in the Old Testament, right? People get complacent real quick. <laughs> yeah, like didn't even get to like didn't even get to tease out the story more. It's like God blesses them and they're immediately like, "Oh, we good now," <laughs> right? And um, again, we we are, we are in the struggle. We are in the struggle. Now, now John would not have been aware. Uh, first Kings, Second Kings, right? He wouldn't have been unaware of the life of Elijah and Elisha. And I need you to see the connection here with John 14 and the life of Elijah and Elisha. So, so what happens when Elijah is about to be taken up in a chariot? So Elijah is one of like um, the small number of folks, right? You got Enoch, right? You got a small number of folks that like didn't die physically, you know, and he is taken up to heaven in a chariot. But before that happened, Happens before he like does like a Jesus style exit, right? Where Jesus ascends to heaven, what happens? His his mentee, his disciple, Elisha. He's like, what do you want? What, what will you ask for anything? What do you want? And Elisha says, I want your spirit. This is 
common thing in the Bible, right? You know, I'm sure you know the story of Solomon. <laughs> who could have asked for wealth? Who could have asked for power? Who could have asked for influence? And yet, what did he ask for? He asked for wisdom. Well, Elijah's on another level. Because <laughs> Elijah has been seeing Elijah do insane miracles. He's seen Elijah be fed by ravens. He's seen Elijah make food out of nothing. He's seen Elijah perform a resurrection. And what is Elijah? Elisha, they sound very similar. What does he ask? He asks for his spirit. And then he gets a double portion. Elisha does twice the amount of miracles. This is the scene here. Jesus is with his disciples. He's not even waiting for them to ask. This is Jesus knows we wouldn't ask the right thing anyway. But he's he's not even he's, he's this is how Jesus like leads with a strong arm, right? He's like with his disciples and he tells them what to ask for. You know, ask for the Holy Spirit. And he says, I have asked the Father. Jesus has asked the Father to send the Spirit to you. Like, do you get that? Like, Jesus has asked the Father to send the Spirit to you. And then he says these huge things, that whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. He says these huge things, like, greater things than these, you will do. It's just incredible. You know, when you look at the miracles that Elijah and Elisha and Jesus did, they're all a similar type of miracles. It's kind of amazing. I mean, God could do anything, right? But when you look at the kinds of miracles that happen, like the blind receive sight, the sick become well, there's provision miraculously when there's like total need and poverty. You look at those, those are the kinds of miracles that the, that the prophets did, that Jesus did, and it kind of shows us not just that God wants to flex, right? <laughs> it's not like it's not like ancient Near East, medieval, whatever. It's not like the kind of thing that just is magic, right? It's not just like the prophet had sparks come out of their hands and they levitated, you know what I mean, and whatever, and just like did crazy stuff just to show their power. God wasn't interested in just showing his power in these miracles. But he's interested in showing his character in these miracles. And so all these miracles are miracles where they're coming in and those who are untouchable and cast off from society are touched by Jesus and he's made well. They are made, they are healed. They are cleaned. You know, Jesus knew what was in the heart of man, right? And he could just see things. We've been in this for a while. We see that Jesus just knew things before they happened. Jesus knew what folks were thinking. How did he use that? Did he use that just to flex his power? 
just to go into a room and tell people their addresses and to tell people, you know what I mean, what their birthdays were, just to just to prove that he is God. He doesn't have to do that. He does all these signs and all these miracles out of a heart of love. And all the things that he does is restoring us where we're broken. So we know the kinds of greater works that God wants to use through us, but we also know that we are actually, we are the greater works. <laughs> so we are speaking right now, listening in a language that didn't exist yet. <laughs> 2,000 years after Jesus said these things. You are one of the greater works. That these guys, fishermen, right? They're not kings, governors, philosophers. They're fishermen. And God was going to use them and their message in a way that people in this room and people in this church who were lost would be found. That people in this room who had a lot of things to be healed of would be experiencing his healing both in their souls and in their bodies. He was going to use these simple men, right, to spread a message around the world that would catch fire and the fire wouldn't burn out for 2,000 years. And so we are here on the corner preaching the same gospel because of these greater works. What I'm saying is God wants to do greater works through you, but also you are a greater work. The fact that you believe in Jesus, the fact that God has done some stuff in your life, you are a greater work. And this is what the Bible has been talking about all along. So when Peter preaches... On the day of Pentecost, he quotes Joel 2, 28 to 32. He says, it says this, After this, I will pour out my spirit on all humanity. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will have dreams. Your young men will see visions. I will pour out my spirit, and I will make male servants and female slaves in those days, and I will display... I'm sorry, he's going to pour his spirit on female and male slaves. I will display wonders in the heavens and on earth, blood, fire, and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For there will be an escape for those on Mount Zion and Jerusalem. As the Lord has promised, among the survivors, the Lord calls. What I need you to understand is, yes, if you read that passage, you clearly understand that there's a day to come, a day of judgment. A te- we just went through Revelation. There's a day when the sky, the God turns just like he did in the judgment in Egypt, where he turns the lights off, right? Where everyone has to answer to him for the things they did, said, and thought, right? There's that day that's coming, but when Peter preaches this and quotes this passage, he says, today this passage has been fulfilled. And so we are living 
in these last days where before you had guys like Moses. Moses was just pray to God. I pray for the day when all your people would have the spirit. Because what would happen is, is that God would call out shepherds. He'd call out mighty men like Elijah and Elisha and David and Moses, right? And Abraham. And he'd speak to him. You got to understand when it says that Abraham was a friend of God, that wasn't like, oh wow, we're all friends of God. Nobody took that from it. It was like he spoke to God face to face in a way that most of us don't. And now it's saying that Jesus came and he lived this perfect life that we should have lived. And he died the death we deserve. And he ushers in a new age. Right In the past, he spoke through various servants. His servants, the prophets. But in these last days, he speaks to his son, and we are so connected to his son, and now filled with his spirit, that he's speaking directly to us through Jesus. So we're in a completely different chapter in church history where we can walk with God. Yes, God appoints leaders. And yes, it's good to be taught. It's good to have, you know what I mean, to be at church and all this stuff. But in another sense, God speaks to you. Like he speaks to you. And he wants to do great things through you. He does. And we have tuned him out so much. And I just want to encourage us to listen to him. Some of us have kids, right? Or we can remember when our kids were little. And I was like, dad, 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 dad. It's so annoying, right? <laughs> mom, 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 mom. It's like the most annoying thing in the world. Can I get an amen? <laughs> God is trying to get our attention. He convicts us of things. He tells us things. And because we're so stuck in our ways and in the world where in our flesh we we have so much noise going on in our soul that we're like we're like that parent who just tunes out the child except we're tuning out God when God is saying you can't control your phone you need to turn it over. You need, you need a different relationship with it. The stuff you're looking on it is just messing up your soul. You need a break. When God is leading you in a way like it's time to make church a priority. It's time to pray every day for your family. But when we hear these things and we're just overwhelmed by everything else and, and we just, eh, this is what happens. God is calling your name repeatedly and you're just ignoring it. I remember, um, you know, 
so many times when I've been preaching or sharing with somebody, somebody comes up for prayer, or I'm doing a funeral, I don't know anybody from Adam, or I'm on a plane and I'm sitting next to somebody, I can tell you that every single time that God spoke, every single time, it wasn't because I was so smart and had great arguments, although I try, <laughs> right? I read a lot, right? I really like knowing you know what I mean? What, whatever, you know, hey, tell me about science. Tell me about these lost books of the Bible. Tell me about, like, I enjoy having those conversations. But every time that I've seen someone's eyes open up, it was because in the conversation, right, I heard the Holy Spirit calling me to ask something very specific, that something of them that I couldn't have known, or lead the conversation in a totally different way. God is the one who reveals what's hidden. Reveals what's hidden. And what people need desperately is not just to change their minds. They need to reveal their secrets, be healed, and repent of their sins. That's like the basic need of every single person you've ever met. And it's your most greatest need. God wants you to share the things that you don't want to share with anybody, with people you can trust who will love you, who will speak truth into your life, and who can pray for your healing. And he also wants you to turn away from the things that are just rotting your soul. <laughs> the things that will take away his joy. Power and wisdom of God is what he gives us to do these greater works, right? And it looks surprising. It doesn't always look the same. I was reading this book. Um, it just really, it just really grabbed me. Um, I'm loving it. It's called The Care of Souls. And it's, and this pastor's talking about visiting this, like, woman. She's got to be, like, 80 pounds soaking wet. Like, she's, she's old and frail in the last days of her life. And he came to bring her communion, to, to remind her that, that God loves her, that he died for her. That's the ministry, right? That's what we do for each other. And so the minister tells this story. He's at the hospital, but he has a new problem because the woman is so far gone, she can't lift her head up to receive communion. And so the minister has to grab this 80-pound woman and position her in such a way that she could take communion. And a couple days later, this woman's son came to the minister and said to him, because he was in the room, he said, you were holding death in your hands. And the minister said this, he said, I was also holding life. As he was offering up the bread and the wine and reminding her in her last hours that she will go to heaven because she belongs to Jesus. And so the power and love of God look like many different things as God works through us. 
We want to put it in a box, amen? It looks like my wife, right, having a dream after a bunch of people who are in this room prayed for her a few months ago where she experienced great healing from her fatigue, amen? It, it, it looks like the inner healing that Brother Chris and Sister Lillian have testified of from their past, from their childhood, that God can lift huge burdens out of your life but in, in the lies you tell yourself. It can look like deep and lasting healing. It can look like being delivered from addiction, which a bunch of folks at this church have that story, amen? That it would define their life. And now Jesus defines their life. It can look like God and his loving kindness sending dreams. Right? Like our sister Deborah, who on multiple occasions has shared with the church, like, God sent me a dream when one of my sisters was passed away. It told me the exact month. Why would God do that? Because she knows, God knows that Deborah's the kind of person who's going to grieve real hard and needs a ramp up for that. See, God loves us individually, knows what we need individually, and walks with us and holds our hand through life. It looks like, I remember this, this is a fun story. I remember we sent off this guy, Matt, to go to a bunch of homes a few years ago. And he went to Lisa's house, right? And like, how can I pray for you? Because that's what we train them to do. Go to all the camp kids' parents' homes. Like, go to their homes and then ask how they can pray. And that's what we do. We still do that. You know what I mean? Like, when we serve families, it's not just to give them a great babysitting time. We want them to know about the love and power of God. <laughs> and so we go to the house, um, and Matt is like, how can I pray for you? <laughs> and Lisa's like, I need a job. And so he prays. He says, Amen. You can ask Lisa about this. It's super fun. She says amen, and the phone rings <laughs> with a job offer. <laughs> and, 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 and like many of the people, right, many of the people in these stories, right, they've continued to have many struggles. But that's not discouraging. I need you to know that God can do greater things through us who are super messed up. Like he's not, the, the gifts of the spirit are gifts, not rewards for being super holy. Like you need to understand that. The gifts of the spirit, and that's just, that frustrates us, that annoys us, because we look around and we judge those who are doing incredible things, and then we begin to think like people should be rewarded for their holiness and whatever we think that God should grade us on. But the reality is, is that God is wanting to respond to us when we believe, when we have faith. That's how he dispenses his gifts, through faith alone. And it's the same way we get holy. It's the same way we grow up and get sanctified, through looking to Jesus alone. God sustains us. 
He provides for us. He heals us. Go and read the miracles of Elijah and Elisha and ask God to do things like that through you. Amen? Go and read the Gospels. And go and read Acts. Thank God for Acts, right? Because it's like, you can just like, where are you getting this? Like, go and read church history. Go and read bishops from like the 5th century, 6th century. There was no expectation that these things were for the glory days for particular individuals. Jesus said that he's going around to the right hand of the Father and praying for you that we would be able to ask him for great things and that he would do great things through us. And so the Holy Ghost causes us to tear down injustice, to bind up the sick, to create a place for the lost to be found, for the unloved to be loved, a platform for purpose for all. Do you hear that? Like, like you might be like, you know what? My life ain't that beat up, but I will guarantee you this, that you need a purpose, and there ain't no greater purpose than what we have in Jesus. Whatever it is that you got going on, maybe it's like, like I've shared this before, you know that game where you, you duct tape straws and you try to reach the moon with a tower. You're not going to be able to do that. It's going to fall. And, and, and we might not feel deep need because, you know, God's given through his common grace. We have our health. Maybe we have our youth. Maybe we're, we're you know what I mean? Things are looking up. But I want to remind you that God has a way greater purpose for you. <laughs> he wants to see you be used by him for healing, for salvation, for the love of the people around you. Amen? So let's pray for way more. Let's pray that we would receive and give supernatural gifts at our church. Let's pray for this individually, but also for our whole town and the communities that we are placed in. Because it's not just us that need a word, need some encouragement, need a breakthrough, need to be delivered from some stuff. Guys, it ain't just us that need the bills to be paid, need our family situations to change. God wants you to look out and see that there is a sea of teenagers, of kids, of parents, of those in the last stages of their life, all around us who need something from God, not just us. So let's pray that we would both receive and give in faith gifts. Right? That we would pray in faith. And this Thursday, our sister Lillian is going to do a training on how to pray in the spirit, how to pray in the faith. It will challenge you. It will stretch you. But that's what we're here for. Right? That's what we're here for. Not just to do the same thing and expect a different result. We want to grow in our faith and take risks. So let me pray for us. Father God, thank you for every person here and those who will hear this message. Lord, I pray, Father, that you would work profoundly in them. God, thank you for your word and the huge promises. Um, and I believe, God, I believe that you are not overselling 
anything, that you were speaking absolute truth, that you want to do great things through us. And the limit is not on your side, but it's on our side. And so, Lord, would you, would you break those things in us that limit your power and love being displayed through us? We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.